Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Good morning. If you are relatively new with us, uh, we have a preaching team that shares the load from week to week. So as you see different faces, uh, need to know that we have that in intentional for discipleship purposes as others grow in the uh, responsibility and gifting of preaching, um, as well as different gift sets and, and experiences and perspectives when it comes to the word, we have a team that shares in that load uh, from week to week, uh, plus some other benefits from that. And so, uh, so if you're new with us, my name is Pat Lassard. I get to be the executive pastor here, and we're gonna continue on in our series, The Worthy Walk, as we go through Ephesians. And we titled it The Worthy Walk because walking is an important part of our faith. We are called to walk all sorts of things, to walk with our God, to walk by the Spirit, uh, to walk with one another in a lot of different ways, to walk as Jesus walked. He who says he abides in him must walk as he walks. First John says that. And we're called to walk, we're called to live out our faith with God, with one another, in a worthy way, in other ways, in a consistent way, in a faithful way, in a way that reflects Jesus. So Ephesians is amazing for that. Ephesians is amazing for that. Now, if you've been with us so far, we're at a pivot at this point in the book. And so where we've been is laying the foundation of the gospel. The first three chapters one, two, and three, summarize the gospel that you are blessed in Christ. He loves you, he knows you, he's pursued you. He sought to bring everything and unification unto him. It is by grace through faith you've been saved because you were in the darkness a slave to sin. There is a real enemy against your soul. He is the prince of the power, the ruler of the air in this time, in this place, in this space. But God is bigger. God is greater. And he's invited us into partnership with him. And so that's the foundation. You weren't just saved from sin or wrong choices or whatever. But you're actually saved for a purpose too. Purposes, meaning and hope and truth and love. Answering the greatest question in life, what is the purpose of life? God answers that and he invites you into it and he actually calls you into it, calls you into it to belong to him. So the first three chapters lay this foundation and then there's this pivot from the gospel and what we believe to how we behave. It gets very practical that the gospel changes and transforms every fiber of our being in how we live and move and breathe. In all of our interactions, all of our relationships, all of our responsibilities, the gospel changes and transforms how we live, how we walk out this life. So that's where we get to start today. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 16. Now, Instead of the Bibles, I'm going to ask the ushers to hand out anyone that missed one of these little strips of paper. Okay, so raise your hand if you did not grab one of these. I'm trusting you'll, you're bringing your Bibles to church, uh, you've got it on your phone, and then we'll have it on the screen as well. Okay, 
So if you need one of these, I'll explain this to you later. Uh, just hold on to it. Okay, so we're going to get into Ephesians 1, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Let me take uno momento to pray. God, uh, you are faithful. You are so good. God, you have won our hearts by the gospel, your goodness, your kindness, your compassion, your love, your truth. You've penetrated the darkness and you've set us free. You've brought us out of the darkness. You have called us with a great calling, with a great hope. It is by grace through faith we have been saved, not of ourselves, because we can't boast, but we boast in you. We bank on you. Our hope is in you. And you have set us for a purpose. Lord, you have set us to belong to what is important to you. And so as we get into your word, we pray you would lead and guide this time, this place, this space. You know exactly where each one of us is at with you. And you are always at work. And so we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here we go. I'm going to take a section at a time and then we'll uh, uh, take some time through that because there's a lot in here. So buckle up. Here we go. All right. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, and with patience, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Pause. Let's stop there. So, you have been called with a calling. That is not necessarily like vocational ministry. You have been called to belong to God, to belong to God. As a believer, you've been called. For God so loved the entire world, right, that he gave his one and only son. Anyone who believes that you have been and receives that has been called. Anyone who comes to the Father has been drawn by the Father, You have been called. That theme of a believer being called and that word calling is used a lot. And so to this calling of believing and receiving, that calling is where we go. Is from that we build off of because from that calling, he calls us to a certain mindset. He calls us to a certain heart set. And that's what we're going to look into, okay? Since you've been called to belong to God, a son, a daughter, saved, here it is. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You have not been called to walk this life in a monastery. You haven't. You've been called to the church, ecclesia, called out ones. You belong to one another. As we belong to God, we belong to one another. We are called to walk this faith out together in relationship with others. Therefore, you need to be humble and gentle. Humble and gentle. Now, why would you have to be humble and gentle? Because you're right. I'm pleased to tell you, you're right. You are right about your opinion. You are so right 
Everybody just like taking a deep breath. <sighs> I feel so good. I, you are right. You're right about your perspectives. You're right about your feelings. You're right about the research that you've done and the things that you know. You are right. It feels so good to be right. In that conflict, you're right. And in humility, be right. Be right. Be right and be humble. Be right and be gentle. Because the opposite of that is of the flesh. And the opposite of that is not of the spirit. And the opposite of that hurts people. Meaning it breaks relationships. Meaning sin leads to death. It always destroys. So in your rightness, choose to be like Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I am humble and gentle. All he's doing is asking us to be like Jesus. You can't do that in your own. You have to do that by the Spirit. We should be acknowledging these things and recognizing this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the, in other words, natural byproduct of the Spirit. As we walk with the Spirit, we choose Jesus' path. In being right, choose Jesus' path versus being arrogant or abusive. Because it's also true, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're flat out wrong. You, there's always another perspective. There's always another opinion. There are other feelings. There's other research, right? You don't have all the facts. You make mistakes. You are wrong. And in being wrong, be wrong in humility. Be wrong in gentleness. What that doesn't mean is being soft and being weak. It doesn't mean being soft and weak. Jesus is not soft and weak. He just wants you to be like him. So, this calling that we're called to is called to one another. We are to walk with our family. I actually forgot that point earlier. Uh, we're called to, it's your first fill in the blank, we're called to walk with our family, which the opposite of walking with our family would be to walk away from our family. We're called to walk together with this church family to be in relationship with one another in community, sons and daughters of God. And in that, we're gonna be exposed to one another's brokenness and weakness and limitations and insecurities and inabilities and mistakes and, 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 right? And because of that, and in close proximity with one another, this is what's required, humility and gentleness in yourself and giving it for others. Because you're right and you're wrong. And he goes on, he goes on, he's not done yet. He says, with patience, bear with one another. With patience, bear with one another. That is not just biting your tongue. In patience, bearing with one another. You can bite your tongue and then be brutally judgmental in private. That, that is not glorifying to God. That still kills. Be patient and bear with one another. 
God says this about himself in 2 Peter 2. He says, God is not slow in returning. Rather, he's patient in returning because of his heart. He doesn't want to lose anyone. He calls us to that same heart, that same mind. Be patient with one another. As you find faults and struggles and failures of others, others that you're in proximity with and walking out this walk with, there is a bearing with one another. That literally means to be put under weight. Because there's a reality. When you deal with others' brokenness, there's a bit of a, ugh. And when they deal with your brokenness, for them, there's a, ugh. And sometimes it's pretty heavy. There is a weight to it. And we are called in that to be patient and bear with one another. Bear with one another. Check this out, this reality here. You cannot be both patient and judgmental at the same time. You get to pick one. You get to pick one. When you choose patience, when they're not deserving, right? That's when you would be patient. They're not deserving it. You would choose to be patient. I'm gonna slow down. I'm not gonna say it. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna press in. I'm not gonna respond to my flesh. I'm gonna be patient. When you choose that, you are foregoing being judgmental and vice versa. When you choose to be judgmental, critical, harsh, sharp, you are foregoing Patience, right? You missed it. So we're called to be in humble, humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another, and eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain unity. I think of a few facets of this, eager to maintain unity. So think about a conflict, a tension. There's a few responses you can do. There's the passive response of going, and that's a real tool at times. It's better for me to not do anything and just allow this to simmer down, okay? Versus fuel the fire, okay? Stoking the fire. And then there's also like a de-escalating skill of things are getting ramped up, I'm gonna speak some gentleness, I'm gonna speak some truth, I'm gonna speak some patience and calm things down. I'm gonna bring a different heart into this. And then there's also the confrontational piece of it, okay? Sometimes, for the sake of unity, hard truths need to be spoken and correction needs to be made for the sake of unity. Some of you are really good at correcting. And you need a little more passivity in allowing things to go or a little more de-escalation in a softer tone to help bring things down. Some of you are really good at being passive and allowing things to go and allowing things to roll. And that can be just as harmful as speaking truth always, always, always. That kills relationships too. If you're not saying what needs to be said, Eager to maintain unity. There's a few tactics, there's a few tools, and we gotta know how to use them. If you don't know how to use them, you're not gonna get good at it by not using it. 
There's only one way to get good at it, and that's by practicing it. Therefore, we be patient with one another as we learn how to be in relationship with one another, fighting to maintain unity as the family, as the family of God, the church. So we walk with one another. I gotta tell you, as I've been in the church, a Christian environment for 20 years now that has lived these things in humility, with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. And it has transformed me. Because what is true of me is what was said in Ephesians 2. You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As I walked in the dark... And then I came to the light and came to the church and I experienced in my brokenness, I experienced others be gentle with me in the midst of my brokenness. Patient with me in the midst of my impatience or immaturities transformed me. As I saw people fight for relationships versus give them the finger or just run the other way, which was the way that I was familiar with, it transformed me to fight for relationships in a gracious, truthful way. I experienced Jesus and it changed my life. So much so that I've been able to take up that cause and help that same measure. I've been able to help come along and de-escalate some things and show gentleness in the midst of someone else's brokenness, right? Act in humility in the midst of someone else's arrogance, right? It changes things. That's the culture that God wants of his family, that we would choose the family way, the family mind, the family heart. Here's the question. Is there someone within the family that God wants you to walk with rather than walk away from? Is there someone within the family of God God wants you to walk with rather than walk away from? That'd be the easier thing. He's not done yet, let's keep going. Verse four, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I'm just gonna count here for a sec here. One, two, three, Four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, eight ones. 
One, two, three, four. Four alls. Five alls. Eight ones and five alls. Eight ones and five alls. The point, real brief, is the setup for the book. Ephesians 1.10 says this, God's divine master plan is that he wants to unite all things into him. That is his grand master plan. That is the gospel's intention is to save the world to make one family, that he would be over all, that we would belong to one another and belong to him and it would reconcile all things to be one. That's the intent. So far so, he would go from the highest of heavens to the lowest of earth. He would come down, Emmanuel, God with us. But then he wouldn't stay there. He would rise above again and say, I'm the boss over all. Follow me, right? There's only one. Okay? There's a whole lot more in there, but I can't spend any more time on that. Okay? I'm going to leave that up to you. Okay? He continues on. Verse 11, he says, and he gave, this is Christ in these gifts, and he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We're gonna pause there, okay? There's a lot in this. Um, okay, there's a few different views when it comes to this passage. It's known as the fivefold ministry. When you come to these, uh, there's different perspectives when it comes to these being offices. That is a position. Of, these are positions within the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, shepherds. Okay. And then there's the gift set mindset. Okay. So there's kind of the office position piece. And then there's the gifting piece. Um, it plays out differently throughout church history and different views of what people do with it today. Okay, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that your way. If you want to know more, feel free to look into it more. Okay, there's a few things I want you to know about though. Um, on apostleship, there is the capital A apostleship. Not that you're gonna read that in the Bible, but this is a distinguishing factor. There's a capital A apostle, then there's a lowercase a apostle. Capital A apostle would be the apostles. It would be the fundamental foundational apostles, the disciples of Jesus that saw his life, his ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and were established to set the church in motion. Capital A apostles, one and done, they were them. And then there's the lowercase apostle because the term apostle means sent one sent one, which is pretty broad, has some pretty big uh, applications. A church planter could be a sent one, right? They are sent out. Missionaries are sent out. All of you all are sent out. According to Jesus, a couple ways. John 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Okay, so there's this broadness to that of being a sent one. Now we see it as a gift, clear, okay? 
So there's some uniqueness to that. And then profit, similar. Capital P, profit, lowercase p, profit. Again, you're not gonna read it in the Bible as you go to Isaiah, capital P, Isaiah, profit, but this is for us in distinguishing the types in going Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Deborah, right? There were, there were these prophets that established the foundation for the gospel. And it's, it's said twice in Ephesians up to this point how God used the apostles and the prophets to set the foundation for the church, okay? So you have that capital P, prophet, that were foundational. Then you have the lowercase p, prophet. Prophet means spokesman. There's plenty of women, prophets, spokeswomen in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? And there's a couple nuances to prophecy, foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling and foretelling. When you think about trying to discern the difference between the two of them, foretelling is like, think about fortune telling, which would be under a false spirit, an evil spirit, right? But fortune telling, one who is foretelling is telling what is to come. One who is foretelling is telling what is. Speaking for God what he has said. You could say, I'm doing that right now. I'm speaking for God what he has said, what his words are, okay? With all of that said, this is really important. God has given us his divine word. He has given us his divine revelation. It is inspired and written by the Holy Spirit. He used men in that process and it is a closed canon. That's a loaded word, but it's important for us to see the words that God has given us so far, we believe are divinely inspired by God. So as we hear these things or interact with others or interact in the world, that this is the authoritative word of God, and so when others speak or say they have something from God, we use this as the filter with what is. And so we use this to interpret what we hear and going, is it consistent with the word of God? Is it in line with the word of God? Or are they saying something that's trying to be above the word of God or against the word of God? That is what we mean when we say to discern with the spirit. The word of God is authoritative. Everybody good? There we go. All right. So here we go. We're going to take a step back from that. God has given us gifts. He has given the church gifts for certain purposes. So let's keep on here. So he's given these certain gifts for these certain purposes. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body. This one verse is exactly why I wanted to preach this one message. This one verse right here. Okay. So to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Raise your hands. Hey, you got about half. Got about half, okay? 
Who are the people of God? Raise them up, loud and proud. You are saints. Over 50 times in the Bible, the saints are the people of God. Called by God, called for God, you are the people of God. What is ministry? What does that word mean? It doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. It means service or serving. And so the people of God have been called to the work of God. Okay? Now there's some gifts, some people that he has gifted to help do something to equip. To equip the people of God for the work of God. Okay? That word equip, this is really important. Okay? I love this too. It is so awesome. It means to bring to a condition of fitness. I want you to think about this. To bring to a condition of fitness. So he has called certain people with certain giftings to bring to a condition of fitness the people of God for the work of God. Think about coaching. Think about what it takes in calling plays. This is getting your team together in that huddle and calling the plays and saying this is what we're gonna do, this is not what we're gonna do. This is the course we're gonna run. Let's straighten up your posture, let's, let's run that again. Let's go over the foundations, let's go over the fundamentals. This is what God wants us to do, this is how we're gonna do it. I see you doing this, that's not the way to do it. Watch me, I'm gonna show you how to do it, now you do it. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to bring to fitness the people of God for the work of God. This whole idea in the American church especially of the paid player up on the stage and then the consumer mindset is so twisted. It's so twisted. This, this role is meant to coach, to bring to a level of fitness the people of God for the work of God. Check this out, okay? What is the work of God? What is the work of God? Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's nothing, it's nothing more than pursuing, loving, serving, discipling. We've been preaching it, right? to passionately pursue Jesus. That's what, that's what we do. That's what we do. We, we pursue our God, right? We pursue our God and we help other people pursue our God. And we radically love one another because we're not called to be in a monastery. We're called to be with one another and that takes love in order to do that and it takes radical love in order to do that. We do that together with one another. And then what we give here never just stays here. What we learn, we never just keep, right? It goes out beyond ourselves. Some will be called to serve here. Others will be called to serve in the community. So we compassionately serve our neighbors. And then we relationally disciple all people. We help invest in other people to help them become more like Jesus, we allow others to invest in us. We learn from others. Oh, that's how, that's how, that's Jesus-likeness, right? And we do that too. Who are you discipling, Christian? 
Who are you helping grow in Jesus' likeness, Christian? Especially if you've been a Christian for 10 years, okay? Who are you helping come alongside? It doesn't need to be very technical. It doesn't need to be very complicated, okay? You've been walking it. You've been walking. And there's more to learn. It's okay. It's okay. I want you to grab that little piece of paper, okay? This is your priest collar. This is your priest collar, okay? Here it is. Here's your call. God wants to use me for his divine purposes wherever I go. God wants to use you for his divine purposes wherever you go. Everywhere you go, God wants to use you for his divine purposes. God is with you in everything that you do. God is with you in everything that you do. And you belong to him. So the priest caller concept came to be easily identifiable out in the community. Now you can actually do that if you want. Uh, you know, I think you could tape it on the mirror or put it on your dashboard or fold it up and put it in your pocket. But this is intended to make you easily identifiable out in the community. That's why priests and all sorts of denominations have done such. God has called you to his work. And he has so much truth backed up in you. He has invested so much in you for you to be his hands and his feet. He wants you to do the work. I keep forgetting my points and my fill in the blanks. He wants you to do the work as a fellow minister. You're called with a great calling and a high privilege and you are his ambassador. Now, I, like in this role, I have a part in helping coaching you. And so do the rest of those that are given that gift are intended to help equip you to bring you to a level of fitness in Christ-likeness. Everybody with me? All right. Let's keep on. We're gonna go to that last, last section here, okay? So all of that to say this is what he's wanting to bring uh, about verse 13 all this investment would be to uh, bring um, excuse me verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now repeat that back to me. <laughs> so many words. I don't know that there's one period in there, man. There is. There's a couple. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-say that out of the PLPV. Okay? PLPV. Jesus gave all these great gifts and roles to the church so that all God's people would do his work. Building up others so much so that we all would be unified in our trust of Jesus 
in our intimate closeness with him in order that we all would grow up in every way so that it would be said that we are like Christ in every way. That is the Pat Lassard paraphrase version, just so you know. Just so you know. There's a few things, there's a few things that he says, this is what it looks like to be like Christ and that's the target. That's, that's what all this work and structure and giftings is pointing towards and working towards. That we would grow up, that we would grow up in a few things, in our faith, in our faith, okay? In other words, in your trust, in your trust of God. You got truths like Romans 8, 28, that God works all things. He is using everything in your life for his good. And you got like James 1 that says, uh, count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you suffer, because God is using that for your good, okay? God is at work in your life wanting to grow you in trusting him. Those things that are going on in your life that are painful, those things that are going on in your life that are confusing, those things that are going on in your life that are hard, that are a struggle, that bring you to your knees more than maybe you would like, God is using that because he wants you to grow in faith. That does not mean, don't get it confused, it doesn't mean he's causing those things, but he is using those things because he wants you to know you can trust him. He is God over all, 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 right? You can trust him. He wants you to know you can trust him. Trust him. As you trust him, and the more you trust him, the more you become like his son, which is the one we're following. Grow up in every way, in trust, and also in knowledge, in knowledge. This doesn't mean knowing about. This doesn't mean knowing about, knowing a lot about. It means to be intimately acquainted with. Jesus said, John 17, he says, eternal life. You wanna know what eternal life is? It's not just heaven. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Okay, what does he mean by that? Okay, so he's called you with this great calling to belong to him. Not just know about him, but to belong to him in this intimately acquainted way that you would know him in mind. You would know him in heart. You would know him in presence. You would know him in spirit. Those are the levels, a lot of different philosophical thought about that, but intimacy, intelligent, relational, spiritual, physical, God wants you to know him in every way. As you know him and grow in knowing him, you become more like him. You grow up. You grow up. And then lastly, he says, it, with regarding 
That's how he says it, I believe, right? Rather, speaking the truth in love, go about these things, right? Speaking the truth in love, okay? And this kind of ties into some of the things we were talking about earlier with uh, eager to maintain unity, okay? Speaking the truth in love. Um, Some of you are really good at truth. You're so good at truth, man. You know your truth, and it's truth, right? It's good. And we have to have it. We have to have truth, or else we... We are lost, right? We waver and we wander and we struggle and we are just vulnerable to the enemy. No, no two ways about that. And then some of you are really good at the love and the gentle and the grace, okay? Which we have to have. It is, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's his softness and his, his approachability that changes and transforms, and some of you have that, but if you only have kindness and grace and truth, that's your one card you play, that's the one tool you use, and you sacrifice truth, that can hurt people, that can hurt relationship. And the opposite's true as well. If the one tool you have is truth, <laughs> you, you only have a hammer, right? When you need a little finesse, You'll hurt people. That's why Jesus is the perfect example for us to follow. He's the one. John 1 says it about him the best, I think. It says, he came with grace and truth. He is the perfect example with wisdom and discernment of going, how do you use grace and truth at the same time? Not just truth, 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 not just grace, grace, grace. Both, both. As you grow in those, and there's room for us to fumble our way forward together, we can help one another learn grace and truth together. But only in community does that happen, not in isolation. God's called us to walk with our family. Who's God calling you to walk with? God has given you gifts, and he's called you to his work. What is it that he's wanting you to do? How is he wanting to use you as his priests and priestesses, as his ambassadors and representatives? How does he want to use you? God wants to use you wherever you go. And he wants you to grow up in a good way. (laughs) Hear that? In a good way. He wants you to grow up like him. What's God doing in your life? What are your circumstances that he's working in to help you grow more like him? What's he calling you to? Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your mind. You're so good. And I simply ask, have your way in us, Lord. We say yes to you.